You're listening to a Rare Drop podcast. Check us out at raredrop.co. Hello, everyone. I know you've been waiting for a very long time to be involved with all of the amazing things that we're doing at Rare Drop, and now is the time. We are introducing the Rare Drop Patreon, so if you've ever wanted to get involved with experimental content or being at any of our podcasts early to listen in, well, all of that is available in the new Rare Drop Patreon. Check it out. Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome to Broman Podcast, episode 124, featuring Chef Mike Harris. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Which I learned is how you say his last name. Yeah, just Harris, <laughs> like the bank if you're in the Midwest, or Harris. Neil Patrick. Yes. Uh, so Easy. I'm, I'm incredibly happy to have Chef Mike uh, on on the uh, the podcast. He I, I originally encountered Chef Mike on Twitter from just like this this constant barrage of positivity and like replies to like everyone me and every one of my friends stuff and uh and and so then you check out his profile and uh it says he's the former corporate chef at at uh, McDonald's and you're like for me I was like wait a minute that's like a dream job in my mind like as a little kid I'm like 8 year old Ben thinks holy shit this person gets to hang out with that the clown and grimace all the time and like <laughs> they just make magical food. So I'm it's I'm just like that. It's exactly it's totally like that. 100% like that. So so but, but before we hop right into that um uh Mike just I, I think for a lot of folks if they've never heard of you before or this is the first time I, I'd love to just let you kind of let everyone know who you are and then we'll get to we'll cool. get to talking. Awesome. So my name is Chef Mike Harris, and as I said, uh, it's pronounced Harris, but it's spelled H-A-R-A-C-Z. So it's not spelled like it sounds. Not. It's spelled stupid Polish, and that's what I get. Uh, I have <laughs> been, uh, I went to culinary school, I've worked fine dining, but most of my career has been as a research and development chef. So I create things for supermarkets, chain restaurants. Oh my God. Um, schools, hospitals, I'm the military, the right all now. that kind of stuff. That yeah. is so, so cool. Less of a food science, although my background is very much food science. It's more like chef first and then food science versus people in lab coats. Like I understand and do a lot of that stuff, but it's more wow. trained chef first. And then I do that fun stuff. And then uh, over, just like most people during COVID, uh, I started a YouTube channel, a cooking channel yeah. called Chef Mike Does Stuff. Yeah. Where I and cook. Follow it. Yo, go ahead. Follow oh, it. Yeah. Go Please. subscribe and hit the bell right now. Tell and them. This is for the people who do not cook. So this is not a normal cooking show. I felt like if you go on the Food Network or any of these other channels, it's already at a level that's a little intimidating for some. So this is a relaxed atmosphere. Well, I will walk you through very simple things to make. And when I mess up, I leave it in the video. I'm new to this. So not only is it the food I might burn, but maybe <laughs> I didn't plug my microphone in. And I'm only making one thing. So I'm not stopping. So I figure it out. So that's what you get. I... That was my content approach for almost the like for uh, for the first seven years I made content. <laughs> I was like, one takes all I got. You want me to do another take? Mm, I mean, if it's only for me and no one's paying me, you're not getting another take. So <laughs> like like if it's just going up on YouTube. No, 
Uh, nice. So, so no, I, I really, I like that. I also love the authenticity that comes to making content like that. Showing mistakes shows that it's okay to make mistakes, um, which Absolutely. is like not something most people process. We watch all of this content that's curated and perfect all the time, and we never see mistakes. So then when people jump in and they're like, this was supposed to be easy. I thought there was a button to push. And then it was like perfect stream with all of my like alerts and I have branding and there's no button like that. So I love nope. I love showing the mistakes. So I am super curious. You, you just said like a hundred things that I'm so interested I, in. I went I went real, real hot. Yeah, no, real that fast. was great. I'll slow um, it down. So so I guess let's start like how how did you. What was your journey with food taking you into these like incredibly interesting places where you're designing food or, 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 you know, like designing menus for or doing food science research for, for corporations like McDonald's and all of these other brands you just mentioned? Um, like, how do you how do you get from like, I like food that's tastes nice in my mouth to something like that? It is so fascinating to me. So like Many, many of the chefs when I was a little kid, like my mom and grandma, I would cook with them. So I was five years old, and at that point I was already like, I want to be a chef when I grow up, which is great. So then I was in like junior high. I was the only dude in my home ec class. I was like a class of 27 people, uh, and 26 of them were female. So I was the one cooking very well, and now I can sew very well, which is very helpful. Heck yes. Um, absolutely. It's a great skill to know. Um, did food and cooking classes in high school. I was actually in college level courses in high school. Um, I started working when I was 15 in, I was in high school working at two restaurants at the time. Cause I am crazy. Uh, hey. went to Johnson. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I gotta make that money too. You know, two jobs a, is where it's at <laughs> balling in high school oh, with yeah. my Mazda six, two, six or whatever I was driving. And then, um, so I had aspirations to want to be a chef and open up my own restaurant. Get into culinary school. I do two years of regular culinary arts. It's great. The more I learn about the industry, the more I'm like, I don't want to open up my own restaurant. That's a horrible idea. It's so much work. It's so much risk. Very little pay. Horrible hours. No family. No life. Like, those are all the things that I like uh, at the same time. <laughs> I also play guitar and wanted to be in an awesome metal band. Uh, and working in restaurants, you're playing every night, weekend, and holiday, and that's show night. I can't be, I can't be, uh, you know, in the back when I'm supposed to be up front melting faces. Oh my so god! So I tell people I fell into this food science R and D world. So I actually have a bachelor's degree in culinary nutrition, which at the time is I could have been a registered dietitian um, or they also had courses for food science and stuff like that, and that's where I gravitated as an R and D chef. That is nuts, um, right? What kind of what kind of what kind of specialized education is there when you're learning like food science? Like, what does that like like what is the is it chemistry? Like, what what sure. disciplines um, are involved in it? What's interesting is so when I was in school, I graduated in two thousand and six because I'm an old man now. Um, food, the, the I graduated in 2005. Science. Nice. Yes. All right. So we're in the same boat. Yes. That's good. Old people. Hell yeah. Um, there wasn't really a big focus on like food science as a chef. You would go like get a, uh, a PhD in food science or whatever, or you would be a chef in the restaurant. So 
right at, I was like the right age when they finally started blending that as a colonologist. So mm-hmm. a chef first and then all the food science or everything else happened. Um, okay. Just like a registered dietitian. I feel they're a little more food first as opposed to a, nut- uh, a nutritionist, which right. is very much paper numbers. You need X amount of calories, X kind of macros and stuff like that. But um, So it was really interesting for me because I also really understand it early on that I could feed a lot more people being an R&D chef. So instead mm. of my one restaurant, um, especially when I got to McDonald's, one menu item, um, you know, 31 million people a day in the U.S. alone go to McDonald's. So things I created have fed more people than all the famous chefs you know combined times like 10,000. I have fed so many more people than them. I believe just that. Nobody, just nobody knows who I am because <laughs> it's never my name on it. Well, 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 they are about to know. So, like, are you allowed to talk about, like, some menu items that you designed or spearheaded? Absolutely. Oh, hell yes. Tell me um, what I have enjoyed from you before. The funniest thing that, so some I didn't do, but my second day at McDonald's was, like, the first day that all-day breakfast was a thing. So I tell everybody, I was like, look, you either get breakfast all day or I'm not working for you, which is not true at all. But I like to tell people <laughs> that. But, um, there were like these chef-crafted, signature-crafted uh, signature burgers that were on the menu where you could choose a bunch of stuff. I remember those. Um, those were awesome. Nice. With the, uh, the, with uh, the mushroom Swiss and like the yeah, bar- oh, barbecue my. bacon and guacamole and all that stuff. Holy shit. Um, I launched the Buttermilk Crispy Tenders, so when those came back, not the Selects, they're the more newer chicken strips I know you're that, talking about. Uh, that came out. Uh, uh, the glazed ones, I did a bunch of, I mean, like the list goes on, um, but the hardest thing to do is I was not in control of like current menu items, so any changes to quarter pounders, chicken McNuggets or whatever. That wasn't my thing. I got to just work on the cool new stuff. Nice. And there were so many things, some of which I can't discuss because they might roll it out in the future. I don't know. But there are other things that like, we should totally do this. And for stupid reasons, uh, we can't do it. Uh, it's just <laughs> not going to work. I so, so that's insane. So like food, food that to me, sorry, like this is my first time hearing it. And now I feel like, like, it's hard for me to fathom how much of an impact you've had on my life because of how much I've consumed <laughs> like th- like those particular meals, like the 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 select burger thing. That was like my go to meal when I was at work, and I was like, nice. oh my, because I worked at a place there was no fast food except McDonald's. So anything that McDonald's did was like life changing for me because I could get <laughs> this overnight food that was like so so anytime they updated menu items or anything i was like fucking on the website dude i was about it um nice. and so and so like that's really cool so f- first of all like thank you um oh, for pleasure. for pleasure. bringing like s- uh, little moments of joy in a really dark time in my life um and uh and i'm sure to like for so many other people as well so so what's like what's the process like when you when you when you have a concept Like, how do you begin thinking about the idea of scaling a recipe to, like, that massive level that it must be done for a huge chain? 
Like, is that part of the process in the beginning or does that happen later? Is it like, this is really cool. Can we do it? No, this is really cool. Can we do it? Like, what, like, what is that process sure. like? Especially at McDonald's because it's the biggest restaurant in the world. There's so much upfront uh, project briefs, um, working with marketing, uh, your um, supply chain to see if you could get everything. But really, for us, we worked a lot with consumer and business insights. So okay. numbers and analytical data supporting why should a menu item be on our menu. And more often than not, it's me taking the chef coat on or a chef coat off and saying, okay, people want a $1 thing. How am I going to make a $1 food item? Mm. And as a chef, it's like, I want to use the freshest ingredients. I want it to be this upscale flavor you never heard of. But one of the things that's very hard for regular chefs to switch over when they go into the R&D world like mine is it does not matter at all my opinion on food whatsoever. Hmm. I am not cooking or making any of these things for me. More often than not, I have a consumer and data supporting everything that hmm. I'm doing up front. So it's irrelevant if I think that's tasty, if... 300 or 30 million people think it's tasty and i don't well we're gonna sell a whole bunch that's probably a good business opportunity now yeah i try my best to influence those things but if the math doesn't add up you know you doesn't gotta go with the, with the data so i'd be behind mirrored glass serving people random food and getting feedback so that we can actually get statistical data to make changes to recipes and how much sauce and how spicy and can we call it that and all that ridiculousness <laughs> can we call it Non-stop. that like i like like that's a fun one when you're making a product because you'll come up with a name you'll be like oh i love this and then somebody it's always somebody across the room that's like ah, oh, i just googled it and yeah, yeah and, you can't uh, or uh, even yeah. it goes even deeper than let's say i'm gonna make a new spicy chicken sandwich and i eat this my polish heritage very bland midwestern diet oh that's so spicy uh-huh. and i serve it somewhere in texas and they're like it doesn't even register on the heat spectrum for me so mm. i can't really call it spicy when it's not spicy that's or, tough yeah there's all these like little so, regional things or yeah did, did, did you feel like so, so i know initially like everyone's reaction probably to hearing that's like wow that's restrictive but like do you feel like it helped you be more creative to like essentially you have like this this um this directive to like cook for yourself as if you were another person or like cook specifically for another person. And you really have to understand their mind. Um, How did you feel like, like doing that? The hardest part, the hardest part, what makes the job the worst is when you don't have information, when it is just blue sky, because down the road you have to say, Oh wait, but this is going to be on a McDonald's menu. Mm. Oh, and we can't use that ingredient because there isn't enough of it in the world. We would deplete the world's resource of shrimp. Like I we believe would destroy that. it. Oh, we can't do that. So if you don't have, you know, if you don't know what's in your toolbox, or like I'm gonna use all these garbage cheap ingredients. Like, oh well, we removed that from the menu because of you know either statistical science data saying that this is harmful, mm. or the populace have just decided that that ingredient is something they don't want. It is irrelevant if it's good for you or bad for you or if science supports what they want. That is just what the public discourse has decided. So we as a company say we're going to remove that ingredient from the food items. And that's great to know up front because then 
it's a lot easier to develop a thing because yeah. you know it's going to change down the road. This this is yeah. nuts. So it so it blows my mind even talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's crazy because you know you hear all the time, um, especially like in technology, and like if you're from gaming, like everybody pays attention to technology news. You hear about like AI, you hear about like data driven decisions, but seeing seeing like the real practical gigantic scale results of that dictating things like we can or cannot cook this because we like there's not enough of this this resource on the planet or like we would be making a dangerous environmental decision and like causing ecological disaster um by by eliminating the existence of shrimp um (laughs) which you know some people hate shrimp and if you don't like shrimp i'm sorry that you hate good food um so so you so you have like these these really big decisions that are that are being directed by this data first. And it actually does make something as interesting as as designing a menu uh, like super. It's super relevant there. So it's like it, I don't know. It's it's crazy to me the level of impact that, or how how deep that knife can cut, I guess. Oh, absolutely. In the I whole mean, situation I would think in, in gaming in film. I mean, think about why movies would rather reboot and use or remake a title that people already know than come up with something new because yeah. that is a lot less dollars i have to spend marketing wise for you to understand what i'm what? doing yeah so it's a that roi of let's just do another uh transformers reboot uh, because everybody knows and loves transformers yeah instead of coming up with your new exotic robot uh world but do you it's the same thing in every industry do you feel like um did you feel like do you feel like when you're working on these projects like these food science projects whether it's you know with directly with this old corporate chef job or these other uh, companies that you've worked with in the past do you feel like there's like a limit to novelty like do you get pushback if you bring out something you're like this is so different and new and they're like ah no like, is there, are there limits to that? Like, what, what you can create that's it's new actually, because of that entrenched mindset? I, I think about it because with food, it's just stuff that we eat all the time, right? And so there's a, a much stronger relationship than, like, that's not Iron Man. I don't care. It's like, I don't know what that food even looks like. I'm not going to put that in my mouth. So, like, what like, like, what is dealing with that like? I'm super curious. Um, What's interesting is as people or as brands on the internet have shown time and time again when they say things or post things or make things that aren't ready or they say things that are culturally inappropriate or whatever reason they may or may not have data supporting yeah we can do this or we can't do that the hardest part in that food industry especially with a company like mcdonald's which is incredibly conservative i'm like hey um, we should bring back Szechuan sauce. Um, no. <laughs> it was a battle to even be able to discuss Rick and Morty and Szechuan sauce. Oh, that, I don't know if you knew that, but the whole Szechuan sauce, Rick and Morty thing, that was my fault. I was so, the chef okay. that brought it I, I, I forgot. Know that? You really buried yes. that lead. I forgot about that. This is juicy. So, like, uh, yeah, okay. So, like, even bringing back old stuff's hard. Novelty yeah. is difficult. What the fuck? Like okay. that? What the fuck? You so, gonna just drop that in the middle of this shit? I feel like I'll tell you. I'll give you that story. And didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> I no. got. I got. I got Rick and Mo- I mean, I'm a fan. So anyway, sure. No, yeah, that's great. This is the story. Here's the story. I got it for you. 
Rick and Morty season three, episode one airs where they say, bring back the sauce. Yeah. I on the internet. So at that time I, I played in bands and all that stuff. And I have been using social media to like build a brand for myself or whatever. Very small at the time. Somebody on Twitter, a McDonald's owner operator tweets at me and they're like, Hey, we just gave away like 10,000 bottles of Big Mac sauce for a promotion. We should give these people, they're very vocal, what they want. <laughs> okay. They're now, very vocal. <laughs> they're very vocal. I love it. All right. I love it. I, I knowing the restrictions <laughs> on my social media by being employed with McDonald's, know that I can't normally, I can't really say things. So what I did was quote tweeted so that people could see it. And I said, I'll see what I can do. Okay? That's Perfect. all I said. I'll see what I can do. Hour later, thousands of retweets. Media says, McDonald's chef says he is bringing back Szechuan sauce. Oh, no! So I had to go to the legal department with my phone right away and, like, mark me like, I did not say that. Here's everything that's going on. Because it becomes a world-trending topic yep. because I said... I'll see what I can do. Yeah. I may or I, to this day, will say I didn't expect that to happen. I mean. But, but, I mean, I, I mean, did want to say something. I, I don't think you, you got to say something. I don't think anyone could have expected what happened to happen. No. So, no, so not like, that big. I definitely feel like that is very safe in the realm of, like, even if you knew it was a possibility, it's not like it was the expected and intended outcome. Correct. You're like, oh, I'm going to agreed. I'm going to meme on this because it's good. Yep. I mean, ultimately, you can make an argument that it's great for the brand to have somebody aware enough to meme on that to get attention. So, like, uh, we'll then... get into that in a little bit. Don't oh. worry. We'll get into that. <laughs> okay. I am right. now a free agent and can yeah, talk yeah. on the internet a bunch. Hey, look hey, at that. Look at that. That's great. So, but yes, back to the sauce. Yeah, back to the sauce. Back to the sauce. Okay, yeah. so that happens. Luckily, because it blew up on the internet was probably the only big reason why they even thought about it. So, we made four big old jugs of it. One went to the uh, the office of Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon and all them. It was delivered by our creative team and a guy dressed up in uh, his um, Rick cosplay oh to deliver God. it over there. And then three were like given away for some raffle. And then okay. the story, Dead Mouse uh, bought one from one of the people for like $10,000 uh, because it was so prestigious. Another tangent, I get a, a direct message from a one dead mouse. Yeah. Hey, hey let me call you real quick. I got an idea. Dead mouse wants to call me on the phone. Yes, I will do that. Sure. He's like, dude, I'm going to throw a party at my own house. I want to fly you in and you cook some nuggets for like a bunch of my people. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> got, got nixed real quick. For I'm sure. Reasons. Yes. I'm sure. But um, so then that went well. So then they decided to do that limited release. They made something like 5,000 uh, individual cups with art on it and all that stuff. And everything up from that morning was going great. It was like everyone's excited about this drop. Fans are happy. I was going to go to, I think, uh, New York Comic Con was like two days before this launched. And I was like, let me walk 
the convention with like 40 of the little packets with a team. And I bet you it will drum up so much excitement. But of course, the elders, uh, marketing and all those people who know better, are like, we don't even know really Rick and Morty. So we don't think this is going to be a real big thing. So, um, you know, I don't think we the investment on that, it's not going to be a big deal. They were not expecting the, all this stuff. And then it hit the fan real hard when yeah. everybody didn't get their sample. So it was. Oh, I recall. It was, uh, yeah, it was rough. It was a rough day for sure. All from a I'm tweet. Not- <laughs> all from a tweet and i got if i got all the death threats i got all the hateful oh. things like i was like this is ridiculous like i me in social media i use it for promo i don't take it personal so it was like this is intense but you know i didn't feel really threatened or anything but i can imagine somebody who is in that scenario is not feeling very happy um at any time but yeah um so that that passed and then finally like a year later they're like okay we made a bunch of szechuan sauce at that point nobody cared and it (laughs) sat on shelves for Uh. months and months and be thrown out but it was like a lost opportunity but yeah so it went from a little tweet to world dominating to the sky is falling real quick oh my god that's i mean like that is such a I'm not even shitting you. Like, I feel like that entire thing should be in, like, business classes. Because, like, there's so many... Well, like, there's just so many really valuable, like, data points in there. Like, there was this moment where there was, like, lightning in a bottle. But, like, due to the size of the company and, like, the... I assume, like, the weight of trying to gear up production for God fucking knows how many restaurants. Like... Like, it was impossible to, like, catch how much momentum that had with, like, Absolutely. a globally trending topic. Like, almost it's, like a like a like you like a word of warning. Like, don't go too viral. Like, don't make something that's too great. Well, there like, was a know? lot of there was a lot of stuff that happened in the middle, like the artwork that was on our uh, or on their. I'm not with them. So sure, on their sauce cups were not officially Rick and Morty artwork. It was to look like it. Oh. So then the Rick and Morty people are like, whoa, if you're going to, like, what's the deal here? Ah. Advertising on TV. There was a bunch of middle stuff that was uh, real interesting. And me apologizing to uh, Justin Harmon and Dan Royland, like, specifically Dan Royland, because we became a little bit Twitter back and forth. It's like how I got their address and how I kept it going because I was like, hey, McDonald's. Me and him are connected on Twitter now, so if you guys need anything, you go through me to talk to, because I was ah, trying to, you yeah. know, make moves. Yeah. But it's, there's no, there was no statistical data on McDonald's side supporting that this was going to be a huge thing. We never worked right. with them. That's not the bread and butter of McDonald's. Me, on the other hand, am the young marketing guy from McDonald's who are, like, we love Rick and Morty. Yeah. And we know the value of passionate fans, even if the fan base is not enormous. If you have, let's say, a very popular on Thursdays Dungeons and Dragons podcast that people like to listen to, they may not have a lot of numbers, but if merch drops, if something ridiculous happens, they are incredibly passionate, influential, will comment, will post, will share. They are a community. And that's where I think McDonald's mishandled it by not being good with the community. We're not going to use Rick and Morty's actual artist to do our thing. It's our right. product. It's misstep. Our, it was us 
In- initially, it was, take it, here. We are engaging in a discourse. Here's free stuff. This is awesome, To All right, time to make the money. And mm. it did not pan out that way. Yeah. So you lose that authenticity. No, 100%. that makes sense. Like, by not... Even just like on a, on like the front facing side of it, by not working with the same artists, you're you're removing part of the brand you're collaborating with. You're yep. removing part of that brand's authenticity. That's when yep. people are like, "Oh, this is selling out. Like this is making really poor corporate decisions," because there's absolutely no reason not to be respectful of the original source of any art. Right. You know, the and debate, and to and make a mistake in, like that. Right. Like ugh, the it's debate nuts. internal is like, wait a second, this is our sauce that was never branded by them, and they called us out, so we can do whatever we want, mm. even though they brought this up, and uh, their involvement is really the only reason why this blew up, mm. and they did, uh, you know, the folks at Mickey's did not want to play along. Stuff That's and tough. things. Stuff and things. Yeah, yeah, I have a I have a few more questions, but first, I want to make sure I do this right in the middle. <clears throat> this podcast is brought to you by the Patreons at patreon.com slash rare drop. Their names are as follows. And if I get them wrong, it's because I'm, I am dyslexic. So I apologize. James Yo, Justin McMahon, Mahan, legendary lad man, Matt LaRue, Steve Paird, Jedi Chappie, experimental gameplay, Aether Mana, Paul Marzik, PD club, Jack day, Ville, Steamboat, Respects, James Yo, Notorious PIP, Philip Snyder, and Wow Dad. Thank you very much. If you would like to join the name of our esteemed producers, if you'd like to add your name to their name in that list I read and other people read sometimes, you can go to raredrop.com slash Patreon and you can sign up and enjoy it today. All right, that was awesome. Good job. I did. I it. would. I love the movie trailer. You need to do some more. <laughs> he was a lonely tortilla salesman. On the yeah, corner. I love that. What's that. Oh, who's that comedian? Um, Pablo Fra- Francisco. Uh, Pablo Francisco. Yes. Pablo Francisco. He was. He was like one of the first comedians I watched. I was like, oh my god, he does so much voice work. It's great. Yeah. Um. So so okay. So that's kind of like working like in that restaurant or like the, the corporate chain restaurant stuff. You, you mentioned doing like food research for other brands. Like, what is it like developing a product that might end up like on our like, I don't I don't know. Like, did you dev stuff that ended up on like like in a box on a retail shelf? Like, oh, like, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. So, like, what's that uh, I like? worked for all the things. So I worked uh, for a company that if you ever go to like a Walmart or a Sam's Club, like deli salads, potato salad, pasta salad, coleslaw. Anything behind the glass, they call it. I made all of those things. Um, Refrigerated, like, side dishes. So, um, if you like... This man's feeding the world. Oh, yeah. With (laughs) mac and cheese in a little microwavable refrigerated container. The mashed potato. Like, Mm. all of those kinds of things. And then, um, in the food industry, I worked for a company that co-manufactures. So, a lot of time, these brands don't have a dedicated factory making the food items they use somebody else so DiGiorno California Pizza Kitchen frozen stuff Stouffer's like all those kinds of brands I've actually developed and launched food items for almost every supermarket chain in the country including Whole Foods and Trader Joe's so sometimes sometimes it's like mom and pop you know give me the cheapest macaroni salad you can make and then sometimes it's a whole food, all natural, organic, whatever it is. 
And once again, it's the more information you could give me up front about mm. the customer, what you're looking for, what's going to hit, will greatly help me develop an awesome thing. Because if you give me a blue sky, I'm going to shoot real high. Yeah. And you're going to shoot it down. So just <laughs> tell me what you want ahead of time, and I'll make it happen. So that's, that is just that I, I am trying to wrap my head around numerically, like the number of people you have impacted with the work that you've done. And it's, it's really mind numbing. Yeah. Um, And if you were to try and, well, I originally started thinking we were talking, how many meals has this man given people? Um, And then that was too big of a number. Uh, but like, I mean, it's, at this point, like you've had, you have to say like, like there's gotta be at least half a billion people who've tried your food. Well, if not, if not, like, I mean, at, at one least billion. like, yeah, I would say, I mean, there's a good statistical probability that you or who's watching this has, excuse me, eaten something that I created just because of the sheer yeah, volume. You're ubiquitous. You're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, but you would never know. <laughs> you would and never I don't get, know, and I don't get paid for volume, so yeah, yeah, I get no get, commission. You get paid for the uh, <laughs> you get you get paid for the, like the development, like a contract work type situation, or it's That's just my company gets the money. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah do you, so like do, does that is that a source of of like gratitude for you? Is that or is that like a source of tension and pressure? Like I need to continue to succeed um, because like I can't imagine having a, an impact on that many people, and I impact a lot of people. Uh, you, you have know? to realize, of course you do. So, yeah. like, one hundred percent of people are not going to like the thing, no matter what it is, either because it's dietary restriction, or it's content that they don't watch. They're not old enough. If it's you know, yeah. internet gaming shenanigans, there are so many reasons why people don't like the thing. So you have to get used to horrible criticism <laughs> out of the gate. So I yeah. am also a certified barbecue judge and I do some barbecue. I was instructed to ask you about barbecue. Oh, tell perfect. me more. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me so we're much doing, more. We're doing, well, this will be a McDonald's. We could talk about that. So this is, okay. so we can, this is going to be a seven hour podcast. Fine. We're going to go. That's, okay. we'll, we'll go. We can go as long until I have to like pee my pants. And we'll, we'll be Behind here. mirrored glass, I'm serving people stuff and we're trying to come up upscale barbecue sauce stuff. So a lot of the chefs that I work with, like literal master chefs from companies, every company that McDonald's partners with because we're so big, they love to give us people to use for whatever reason. So I'm 14 chefs deep doing this thing and we're coming up with awesome barbecue sauces but time and time again people in this room are like why can't you just give me that mcrib barbecue sauce it's it's not good i'm making like from scratch competition style barbecue sauce and these people are like just give me the stuff in the cup you know corn syrup and what so once again it's yeah okay that's what the people want why are we trying to reinvent things? i believe just give that the people what they want so no, even with the barbecue credibility, doesn't win in the mirrored glass when you're serving people in the room. I, you know, that's that's something you mentioned that earlier, and and I I yeah. wanted to ask, but about like serving behind the glass, but, but cooking for other people, but but it like you mentioned very early on, it doesn't matter what you like, it matters yeah. what everyone else likes, and especially it matters what millions of other people like more than you. And there's like nothing more obvious than like a 
certified barbecue judge food scientist giving you the best they can and somebody saying i just want the mcrib like, like that like, is nah. the most yeah insane thing the I'm, numbers I'm, I'm of glad my wife's America. not watching she'd be like throwing it's, her phone you know you've got a uh, 10 or 20 percent that are very trendy hip and happening like all the ingredients you got 10 or 20 that do not care at all about what they eat they're eating to survive and then you have the middle people who you know if you go to a rural or a, you know a, yeah rural town where there's nothing there other than a walmart and a mcdonald's well you know that's really who we're catering to because there's so many more of them than everybody else so we try to make sure that a menu has things for everybody but as a chef working for mcdonald's everyone's like how could you do that aren't you like I said, you have to have the mentality of it doesn't matter what I think. I'm serving a customer. Um, and that's where it, it gets really hard for – I could see that in any industry anywhere. Like I'm making this for a customer. That customer might not be you. And I'm sorry McDonald's cannot do a full gluten-free thing. I personally would love to have that and offer it. But there is a statistically significant risk that we are going to get people sick doing it no matter how great we are. It's the same reason why McDonald's will not serve a runny egg yolk on their egg McMuffin. Mm, McDonald's just the egg McMuffin egg, okay? So there's all the other eggs. There's the folded egg. There's all burritos. Just the cracked egg that goes into the sandwich, they serve $6 a year in the U.S. alone. Okay? $6 billion eggs. Jesus! Right? The statistical chance of you getting, let's say, salmonella poisoning from something inside the yolk or white part is like one in 50 million or something like that. But yeah. because we serve six billion a yep. year, it is statistically significant that if we served it that way, we would literally get people sick. So yeah. we cannot do that. That's why they don't serve like medium burgers or right. even medium rare or medium well it's cooked all the way through for food yeah. safety purposes because of numbers and stupid statistics yeah Ugh. that's nuts my wife is actually in chat and she said oh i'm here and then she said <laughs> but i do understand the differences in people's in, in people's like palates and like the need to cook like that she's always more understanding than me i'm yeah, very and reactionary that, and that's why also in my <laughs> in the youtube channel that's why i'm never like this is the way to do it it's always i mean this is how i do it but you know you could just cook it in a microwave you could cook it in a baby bottle steamer you could cook it in your oven like do you do whatever you want whatever you got that's cool but here's an example of how to do it so i try very much not to say yeah you're wrong unless it's uh pineapple on pizza which i do support 110 percent because i love pineapple on pizza just gonna throw that out there I let's see argue. how the chat reacts to that let's see how uh, the chat I'm... likes pineapple on pizza uh i would usually <laughs> argue about this but i won't argue with you i respect you too much yes you, you've clearly yes! proven uh you've clearly proven that you're allowed to have your own opinions on food nice God. i feel like i've won i feel like I've won. uh you have you've won that one um i have oh, yeah. too much respect to meme on you okay so i'm gonna grab some of these questions from patreon yes. uh because i feel like they're they're perfect for this moment in the conversation um so uh, the first one is from Anonymous. It said, maybe this is a stupid question, but I'm curious how you see media, gaming, film, and the culinary industry 
interacting and working together in the future. So we're talking about all these like interconnected parts that already exist inside of that food ecosystem. Like, is there anything coming up that that might be an intersection of, of gaming and food? And I mean, we well, see crossover like products all the time. Um, oh, so so maybe this is like a, a like, are there deeper intersections that maybe we wouldn't be able to see because we're not in the food space? Um, food for a variety of reasons is a direct reflection of the culture of that time and place throughout history. Right. Eating is one of the things that literally all the living things need to do to continue living. Video games and all that is relatively new, but what games are, their purpose, what, what the popular ones are all specifically showing a reflection of culture at that time and place. Why does Fortnite blow up? Why are people still playing Minecraft for eight years or however long that game? There's these anomalies and reasons why all these things happen. And consumer science is something that no matter what industry, no matter what the product is, it doesn't even have to be a monetary transaction back and forth. It's consumer science of why am I watching this? Why did this trending topic become trending and this one did not? There are reasons behind it. I actually, um, a lot of chefs are, are reading cookbooks or practicing, you know, whatever. And I read like Freakonomics or Malcolm Gladwell books or like why people act a certain way and do, because I think that's very valuable. But just like food and gaming, everything is a direct reflection. So let's look at esports right now. Three years ago, when I'm sitting in a McDonald's corporate office saying we should invest in esports, or hey, I called Jeff Keeley, we flew him in. I'm sitting in at a table with the McDonald's marketing people, and me and Jeff, and I'm like, we need to work with Jeff because the video game awards, I mean, that's the future. I mean, we're just traditional media people. And you look at, what is it, 80 million people watched the Video Game Awards this year? Then like, A lot of people. It, it beat out all these other things. And I'm like, once again, you need to listen to the younger people. You need to pay attention on what's vocal, what's growing, and act accordingly at yeah. that time and place. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. But all these big food brands are investing in esports just like they would yeah. NASCAR events. I want my logo on every uniform, on the car, on the shirts. I want my logo on every gaming shirt. I want them on mouse pads and this, that, and the other. So just like every other brand and every other industry, once something starts to become popular, we're going to throw all our marketing dollars and get the influencers <laughs> to talk about us. And, and it's all just one big who has influence that is literally yeah. all of it boils down to who has influence and who can either sell product or get brand recognition that's all everybody in any industry cares about especially at this moment when business is run on analytics yeah. use clicks sales and all that ridiculous <laughs> stuff that's that is yeah i love that answer um this is from Jack. I think I answered it. I no, don't know. You did. No, you, yeah, you, that was pretty good. You, okay. I think you. I think you. Bas I mean, like, I, I agree with you. Like, food's an expression of culture, and so is gaming. And and it is. You're right. Compared to food, gaming is the astonishingly new. Yeah. One of the most yeah. new things on the planet. It's even newer than like us as human beings, and we're brand new. 
Yeah. Uh, so like, I, I think that I think that that's actually a really interesting answer because it's gonna it will probably take us a long time to find this intersection between gaming and food and we're black we're in black mirror right now yeah like maybe my value on this social media platform means something to brands and buyers yeah so soon it's going to be every person has their score and how valuable are you because of how much it's going to be a disaster so you really liked the nosedive episode you were like a big fan oh my gosh um that show's so good. Every episode it's was so like, good. oh no, we're we're headed in that direction. Oh yeah. no. Um oh, on a on a on a on a personally competitive note, um, what is and, and less doom and gloom black mirror? Uh Jack Jack says, what is competition like in the culinary field? And when and I, I love this part, when did you feel the most competition during your career? Huh. That's a um, good one. Uh, we're talking pre-COVID or COVID I think, world? I mean, uh, I think that, that maybe they're, they might be interested in both answers. Okay. Um, well, you know, I'll give you... Normal I'll, I'll, world and now. I'll, as PC, explain where I am today as best I can. Okay. So, for reasons, um, I left McDonald's. Okay. And then you might have noticed that I could do a lot more social media-related things. So, yeah. that opened up some windows. A Wendy's reached out to me and they're like, hey, former McDonald's corporate chef, do you want to be in some of our social media stuff? And I said, absolutely, I do. That would be great. So I was in uh, for the Wendy's breakfast rollout. I was basically the the former McDonald's chef eating Wendy's breakfast items for like, you know, social media stuff. Yeah. They reach out to me and they say, hey, this went over so well. How would you like to be in a national running commercial for two weeks? So they chopped up the footage and it was a commercial. At that time, I was at a new job doing what I do for reasons I don't know if there was influence from the big guy or whatever. I then separated from that company, which was the last week in February. Oh, God. That's rough. I'm like, oh, no worries, because I'm going to do some Wendy's stuff. I've got some stuff with 100 Thieves coming up. I'm going to do stuff with G Fuel. I have all these travel plans in the books. Um, It's Chef Mike on the internet time. And then COVID hits. Oh, we canceled this, canceled this, canceled this, canceled this. I now know, don't have a job and just started this social. I didn't even have the YouTube page or anything. So one of the reasons why I started my YouTube thing was because I was like, okay, I do have a following on the internet. I don't have a job. Let's see if I could drum up some, you know, I get a YouTube page big enough. Maybe brands will want to work with me and all that. I am very, I will say this 100% of the time, I'm very fortunate to have worked at McDonald's because that on my resume will carry me for the rest of my career. I'm almost positive. Um, Job market for me and getting jobs even throughout uh, college and stuff was relatively easy for me. But once COVID hit and I, I am still not full-time employed. So I am, yeah. you see me on the internet a lot because I'm hustling, trying yeah. to build an audience. I noticed. Trying to get I noticed. Brand. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I also, it's important because I want to be a part of the community of whatever I'm doing. I don't want to be just the face. Look at me. I'm Chef Mike. I used to work at McDonald's. Here's this. The only way to make it authentic and have an actual following and actual be able to influence 
is, especially for me, is I want to be a positive influence and grow a fan base because I want to show people that you can, first of all, look ridiculous, bald head, beard, chubby, Polak, um, <laughs> that I'm not the best at anything. There is not one thing I'm even really that good at. I'm an okay chef. I love playing video games. I've been playing them since I was like born. Uh, I was perf- you know, born into it. Not the best at that. I can't remember names, numbers. I don't remember recipes. All these things, I'm not that great at anything. And I would love to be an example of, hey, you don't have to be the best at anything. And you could still make it or whatever. So I'm hustling. But the career now, especially with COVID, restaurants, food, it's a disaster. So this is the Nobody's challenge. Finding it. Right now this is, is the, the competition. Worst career challenge I've ever had in my life. I to be honest. I res- I respect that honesty yeah. and I, I I respect the openness about how frustrating that all is. I yeah. I mean like empathetically, I 100% know what it's like to have your entire 2020 lined up, true shot, you're ready to just like let that yes, arrow you fly do. and coast <laughs> and then all of a sudden Goodbye. uh you know coronavirus comes up and and knocks out like all of your wisdom teeth and then spits on you and says get a job um you know like it's it's tough um it's tough but you but you you keep going and so that's actually something i wanted to compliment you on is you do you do on social media you're always out there hustling but you always come across as as authentically engaged like you you really give a shit about whatever you're saying or whoever you're talking to um and i think that there's a lot of people who who go by the like hustle on social media playbook and they miss that part. It's just it's very formulaic and, and programmatic and it doesn't feel great. Um, but I've I've always enjoyed your content. I've, I've always enjoyed the, the tweets that you put out and your insights. Um, I know that uh, getting a compliment from you in our household was a big deal uh, for <laughs> when, uh, when it, you know, when I was like, hey, did you know? Hey. And Amy was like, what? You know, like oh. you're, you know, oh, yeah, a you know, blue you're... checkmark chef said I did good. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I don't. I understand uh, what it's that. like. Mar- Mark Hamill liked one of my tweets three times. Ooh. He knows I exist. I yeah. understand what it feels like when the person you're trying to engage with actually responds. Because yeah. I know so many famous people who don't give a crap. And yes, they're famous, but they're never going to be able to be a true influence on people because they're not giving and taking. Where yeah. these people want, Chef Mike, what do you think? Oh, I think it's awesome. He responded, retweet, look at this. This guy responded to me. And I'm like. Yeah, it took uh, five seconds of my life to make you happy. I will do that 100% of the time if that makes you happy for me to just like a tweet. Uh, I mean, like that's cool to me that people think I am important in any capacity whatsoever. So Yeah, important enough that you can make them smile. Yeah, that always yeah. yeah, like to me, I'm always like, that's nuts. Like, uh, really? And But Very people much. say that like... Uh, Every morning I wake up and I tweet good morning whenever I'm ready to look at Twitter. That's like uh, that's like my brain signal that I'm like, okay, I'm done with my morning shit. And go. okay, into Literally work, into work, good morning. And, you know, uh, there was a couple, there's a few days ago I was like really busy until like one or two and I didn't get on my phone. And there were some people like, where's that good morning at? Um, because like they look forward to it. Like they, they, it's like part of their day. That's something that they're used to seeing and it gives them, them comfort or it makes them feel happy or whatever. I I don't, a hundred percent. Yeah. Routine. So, so like 
just knowing that by like living your life and and being passionate about what you're passionate about and actually caring about other people um you can make such an you can make such an incredible impact um on social media regardless of the size of your following because you i mean you know like you don't like you mentioned your following is not like 100 million people following you or anything like that it's not you know even for me like i i know that i have a lot of people who follow me but at the end of the day i'm like it's like i'm not the rock like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, like I, I go, I go out in public well, previously. Like I go out in public every day of the year and you get recognized like once, like, that's not like you could be a high school teacher. Like that's how much fame you have, you know? So it's like, I never, I never think like, wow, look at my numbers. But, but you can, when people honestly respect your opinion, like you can tell that it makes a difference in, uh, in people's lives. And I think you only get that kind of respect from a lot of hard work, which you have illustrated time and time again and uh your resiliency is is nuts um you know going through all that stuff being at the absolute center of the rick and morty fandoms most (laughs) most honest to god most depressing i can't believe we're here moment as far as i mean like the whole world looked at some of the the pickle rick screaming at the counter video guy and the whole world looked and they shook their head and they said this is this is fucking weird uh, yep. And so like to have to have been in the middle of all that and to come out with the level of positivity and happiness that you have. Like, I mean, if I, if anybody that was in the middle of that came on this podcast was like, yeah, so anyway, that's why I live in a box and I'm still fighting to try and get over all of that. And but no, you're here in the middle of your self-described incredibly difficult time in your life being happy and thinking about other people and i think that is fucking incredible sure and i and to put in perspective i know i am very much in a better scenario than so many other people so this is not it's i have that mentality of always you know being positive and all that but i know for a fact because i remember when i was a struggling working in restaurants when i had uh, $19 in the bank and I could not go to the ATM to take the $19 out because you got to get increments of $20. Like, Oh, yep. come on. Um, but I know that I am very fortunate in my career in having that following. Like when I started a YouTube page over the, like the first video, like got a thousand views and all these people are like, I've been doing YouTube videos for five years and I haven't even amassed that many. So like, <laughs> That's very fortunate that I've been able to start at that level, just like I said, because of my background. But, I mean, being positive, especially on the Internet, it's easier than you think because I just don't – when I'm upset, I listen to the satanic death metal. I play video games. I spend time with my kids. I do all these other things that there's nothing positive of me complaining about stuff on the internet for woe is me scenario. I That's not, oh, you know, I may post things every occasion like, man, what a tough day or a very obscure yeah. gif or jif, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> um, what what house are you in? You in gif or jif house? It's a gif. It's a gif. I agree. It's a gif. I'm in the same boat, but I didn't want to, you know, impose my... No, it's fine. I'll fight somebody about that. <laughs> right in the face. Punch Everybody's the face. like, the guy that invented it said this. And I was like, Graphics, I'll fight him. Interchange format. Or, yeah. I was he, like, he I know. was, yeah, I was like, it's really cute that that person thinks that they can control how everyone else decided to use this language because the choice was taken away from them after like they created the word, right? Did, like, they, after- create, did they create the GIF like GIF acronym or was it just 
graphic interchange. Yeah, right. Like, who knows? I can't remember. It's like the person who invented the the format. That's silly. Says that it's with a J. Nice. But anyway, another reason why I think because a lot of my little following is in the gaming community is because that was always my like hobby. It was uh, I'm cooking professionally. I like to cook. But I'm going to go play Nintendo. I'm going to go play PlayStation. I'm going to do all these things for my recreational time. And then once I, you know, most notably because I got into McDonald's and tried to continually convince them to do gaming things, that's yeah. <laughs> when, that's when like, the popularity of me as a kind of, he works for a big old corporate entity. He's the man, but he likes the things that we like? That's amazing. Yeah. And I think I easily translated the, yes, I am a big corporate person who works in the industry, but I am a real boy, a real human <laughs> who does other things yeah. as well. Like, this ain't my life. You know, I work to live. I don't live to work kind of scenario. So I think that's why, because I love video games and tabletop games and board games, it kind of gravitated towards that because those are things I like Do to you, talk about. So, So I would be... I'd probably be mad at myself later if I didn't ask you this next two questions. So one, what is the favorite, what is your favorite thing to cook? Like if you have one or like, or like favorite meal or most memorable meal, whatever, whatever comes to your mind when you're like, I love cooking this. And then, okay, I'm going to go deeper on that. Okay. I'm going to go deeper on that then. Um, But then the second question is of all the products that you've helped rolled out. Do you have one that is your favorite? Or a passion project, you know, like something that stands out. I'm super curious. One of the, this is very obscure and I don't know why I like it. I made a upscale pimento cheese spread for Ruby Tuesday in like 2008 or something. That was delicious. I was like, this is the best. This is awesome. And it went on the menu and it did okay. And then it left the menu, but it was the first i think it was the first big project i had on my own like where i was working where it's like all right you talk to the customer you get the thing made you figure out the paperwork you figure out how to make it in the plant so they could get a lot of it like it was my first big r&d yeah. all by myself thing so that's okay. why i think i like uh why i thought that like stuck with me that's fucking cool as shit yeah. <laughs> um okay so bacon you love cooking bacon oh yeah. uh it, do you treat it like a meal in, meal in and of itself? Is there a I'm, kind I'm of, bacon? of bacon? So okay. I like yes. to get me a good thick cut apple with smoked bacon. You're okay. gonna want to put that bacon in an oven on like a baking on a uh, like a wire rack to elevate it a little bit. You're okay. only gonna want to cook it at like 300 degrees or so. It might take like an hour or so, but when that bacon's done, it's the perfect in between crispy and soft. It's like when you bite into it and it melts in your mouth like cotton candy. You could just break it apart with your tongue and it almost dissolves over your mouth. And you get a little bit of that smoke up front, then followed by that salt hit. And then you get that umami hit from all that meat, that smoke meat. Oh, it's an experience, I tell you. I need to go make bacon so I can eat it at uh, at midnight. Get start that cooking cut. now Gotta yeah this is cut. not safe for work content what's the most expensive cut of meat that you've worked with um personally that i've worked with i did have i think it was it was wagyu 
So that is the American equivalent to Kobe beef. Okay. Not nearly as expensive. So they took Kobe beef is like in Japan. It's a specific type of cow that they raised to be super marbled, just over the yeah. top. For they reasons. feed him sake and give him massages. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. yeah. Sing to him and stuff. So they yeah. brought those cows over to the U.S. to be raised and all that stuff. Just like champagne can only be called champagne if it's made in the champagne region of France. Yes. Kind of thing. So, okay. So, Wagyu. I th- it was pretty good quality i also am into sous vide cooking i don't know if you sure know. so i, I we have not done it thing. here yet but it is it is uh highly respected nice from so anyone I had, who's tried it was it. like a wagyu grade new york strip that i sous vide first and then i seared in cast iron with a little avocado oil because it has a really high smoke point so you could get the cast iron really hot and just to sear that outside right quick <laughs> And then it just melts like butter in your mouth. And it was probably at a restaurant. It's probably a 200 or so dollar 12 ounce steak. Yeah. Wow. That's probably the the most expensive. That's fun. But I have, I've eaten much more expensive, just not on my dime on the Ah, company dime. So sure. (laughs) What's the, what's the, what is the wildest thing you've eaten? Um, okay. So whether in cost or, or just straight up crazy as fuck. I was on a reality TV show called A Wicked Offer on the CW Network where it was a game show where you prank your friends and family for money. Nobody okay. watched it, okay? Okay. Here's another one of these ridiculous stories. I was oh on TV. God. And the <laughs> challenge was, so this was all like fake reality. Pe- the, my friends knew what was going on, kind of. But I had to serve my friends and family uh food and they were to judge it well after they ate it i let them know it was endangered animal it really was an endangered animal but it was like oh by the way sign this waiver and to not tell anybody but nobody cared but it was a i believe it's filipino a balut egg are you familiar with that so is that the like thousand year egg no i did try that as well a balut egg is let's say a week from now it's gonna hatch all right, okay. but it didn't hatch yet. I'm just going to cook it in the egg, everything. It's just about ready to hatch. I'm cooking it, and then you just eat it. So I bit into, like, the head of and beak and feather of this egg, balut egg. I was fortunate enough my Filipino buddy was there, and this guy's like, gah, 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 chopping him down. Oh but my I, God. Almost, I almost threw up on camera, on TV, eating oh my this God. balut egg. It was disgusting. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, that's that is. Uh, yeah, that's like, right. Look it up. Did you look it up? No, it's chat saying it's dead chicken fetus. Essentially, yeah, mo- like it's most, like a boiled chicken part. fetus. Do they flavor it at all? No, because it's in the egg. So you just like it's a delicacy. You don't like uh, you don't shake a salt on top of it. You just go right into the egg. Uh, I assume that's what I did. Maybe I did it wrong, but. Uh, I don't know if there's pleasant. like a sauce or <laughs> anything that you can add that's like, oh, this was dog shit. But now, oh. now that I dipped it in this, oh, the chemistry. Oh, yeah, baby. I think uh, I don't I don't think that you can do that with food that you just sincerely do not. I don't, like. Yeah, I don't think that works. I don't think that's how that works. That's OK, though. But now I really like want to try that, though. It's so isn't it? Isn't it? Does it super fascinate you? Like 
the differences in food we enjoy like that like that's like Cultural you said your friend was like inhaling that stuff and you're like these flavors don't make sense to my palate so the u.s we are very i want this in my food this is how it clean 80 percent of the world's population eat bugs as a source of source, source of, protein. of protein yeah but here in the u that's disgusting i would never do that but for whatever reason, just because of cultural, like, ah, oh, we can't eat bugs. I've eaten, I've worked for companies that provided, like, cricket Cricket powder. flour? Yeah. Cricket flour? Like I want to buy some and, and try stuff. baking with it. It's not bad. Apparently, like, you really don't know what's in there. It's just like a we protein watched a, I, I watched a video of this, like, Norwegian bakery where they they only use, like, like bug flowers or some crazy yeah. shit. Like they have, and and you, they're like, this is our wheat loaf, and this is our cricket loaf, and you're like, I can't fucking tell which one is which one is which. Tasty, yeah. And so, like, I that that is actually something to me that bothers me that we have this cultural resistance to that because it's such a good source of protein, and it's way less environmentally destructive to just grow a whole bunch of crickets. So at the same point, I'm not gonna eat crickets or bugs. But I'll eat the heck out of some pasteurized, processed American cheese on my burger, though. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. neither one is right or wrong, but you are kind of picking and choosing just based off of your own predetermined yeah. notions of what you like, what's good, yeah. and what's not. That's I'd the love... most difficult part. Do you know of anybody that's like doing neurological research on like food and how it wires our brain? I like. Oh, that's I mean, that's very proven that food excites the pleasure centers of well, your brain. I mean. Let me let me rephrase that. Um, specifically, we're talking about these cultural differences in food, right? I'm curious, based off of like I don't know all the stuff I read, if what we're eating and what we're deriving pleasure from, right? Maybe maybe that's the circuit, right? Like we're so used to things being this one way, that's the only way we experience pleasure while eating food, and so maybe our aversion is because like this food isn't firing all the same circuits for me, so it must be gross. And that well, would explain why somebody else who eats it all the time could enjoy it. It's like, I, is anyone doing like fMRIs to figure out if that's all what's you gotta going on? do? Let me tell you something. So, does your your significant other do they like milk? Do they drink milk? Amy, yeah. Does your significant other drink orange juice? Y- yeah. One day, tell her you're gonna give her milk, but give her orange juice instead, without her knowing somehow. Okay. Because, <laughs> what the? It's just not, I thought it was milk. So you subconsciously even just think if you huh. name, you can name something, something specific. Oh, this is that spicy chicken sandwich. Spicy. It's not spicy. I don't like it. You might have liked it if it was hmm. a chicken sandwich. Yep. That is what I expected. So it's very much. And that's the other thing about why McDonald's and fast food is so popular. It may be cheap. You may be getting the thing for a dollar, but you are getting it at the right price. It's a nostalgic flavor. It's convenient for you. So there are a lot of other reasons why you are eating the thing. That's very other than interesting. It's the most delicious thing. So that's why when I went back to like naming a thing appropriately and how it could drastically affect sales, if you yeah. call something spicy, it's like 30% less people will buy it just because wow. it's called spicy because that's people like don't like spicy. That's like my buy signal. <laughs> so, so to your point to answer your question there are thousands of reasons why people make food and mm. beverage choices or why they do or don't like things i grew up eating hamburger helper because my parents are not great chefs 
I went to culinary <laughs> school. I can do fine dining. I've eaten great things. But every once in a while, I got a taste for Hamburger Helper because it's mm -hmm. nostalgic. It's a flavor I grew up with. People who grew up with processed, pasteurized American cheese don't Nothing's like better. sharp. Right? It melts delicious. Nothing's uh, better than a nice Velveeta and, like, pace, and you fucking throw that shit in the microwave. There you go. And you stir that shit up. Tell me you didn't eat that at every single like Midwest Super Bowl party you've ever People been to. People still do chili cheese yeah. dip, cream yeah. cheese, Hormel chili, and cheese, and put it in the microwave. That is the suburban Midwestern like party yeah. dip to go by. But yeah. another example is we uh, McDonald's had like an egg white delight sandwich, healthier option. There was white processed pasteurized American cheese. The people who ate the sandwich said that's gross. I want cleaner more natural ingredients okay so we put a natural aged white cheddar cheese on it and sales plummeted and everyone said it tasted disgusting and everyone wow. said they didn't like how the cheese looked when it melted because natural cheese looks like opaque and doesn't have that nice melty pull like yeah, it American pull. pasteurized does so subconsciously i want the clean all natural upscale thing but when i eat it i actually don't like it People make those decisions all the, I want all this clean, natural stuff. Okay, here's the low-sodium version of the thing you want. Oh, I don't like it. It doesn't taste very good. There's no salt in it. Of course, you, you're used to salt. I mean, what do you yeah. want me to do? You don't like it because of the reason you didn't, you didn't want the things in it. What do you want me to do? Oh. That's, that's, that, oh. is, that is super fascinating to me. Like, we see that, I mean, like, Talking food business, like we see that with Kings Coast often. I would um, imagine. Too dark, it's too I, strong. Oh, I, don't, I need. I, we always get, well, here's the thing is I have to, I always feel like what my job is, is to unteach expectation. And that's not, so, by the way, that too, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm assuming yeah. that's what people are saying of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Like, no, like this is too strong or this is too, too whatever. Um, But like we literally, like we, like we treat the food like we treat all of the coffee we buy like like Wayne is a chef by trade. So he treats it all like a, a high grade ingredient because that's what we buy. Yep. Um, so we don't over roast it like we don't make it uniform like Starbucks does. Like the, so there's there's when somebody says they want a dark roast, they have this expectation that that's the only way they can get flavor out of their coffee. When in reality, the only flavor you get when you cook it that long is that burnt stick to your ribs and you might get for some of the more robust flavors like like if you're shot like if you're from a, like buying a sumatra where there's a lot of earthy flavors in it that'll still make it through i'm gonna blow your mind he, again real quick yeah okay i bet a lot of those people who are requesting dark roast coffee are either smokers or Ooh. they like uh dark liquors because people who smoke statistically have less flavor uh receptors in their mouth mm. and they actually like cigar yeah. smokers why do cigar smokers all smoke like taste like an ashtray 10 year old scotch because <laughs> they smoke these thick ass cigars and they're used to this tar yeah. burnt so people who drink really dark roast coffee yeah either, like i said probably That's smoke nuts. or there's all these you know you probably For have to over season their food because they can't taste as well as somebody who doesn't drink dark coffee and doesn't smoke. So there's all that. That's nuts. What I, I so so what, what I was what I was going to say is, is like so much of that's expectation. Right. So mm -hmm. 
a lot of what I do is like, let me tell you that like the, the darkness of your roast is not what's going to give you flavor. I said, I bet that what you're telling me is you want your cup of coffee to really taste like something. And if that's what you want, you want a light roast because that's going to let every single note in that coffee breathe and you need to prep it by not using boiling water. Like those are my two pieces of advice. Most people will come back after that conversation and they'll go, I had no idea that that's what coffee tasted like. And I was like, yeah, that's coffee. Like this thing that everyone else is giving you all the time is it's, it's a different product yep. than than this. And it's really, really hard because we have this, especially around food, we have this incredibly oversimplified language that we use to communicate. And then we have all the marketing plans that takes advantage of that simplified language so that my mom says, I'm going to go get a coffee when she's going to get a Frappuccino from Starbucks with whipped cream on the top that yep. does have caffeine and coffee in it. But like that, the it's, idea that a coffee it's a can be so many point. things um, to people where, where like getting a coffee in the U.S. is the equivalent of like just I need caffeine in my body yes, that comes yes. from a coffee people bean. Are, that is another yeah. passionate fan base of yours that I'm sure yeah. you're very familiar. Coffee, people who love, I love coffee. I need it every morning. I only get yeah. the finest beans. I only get the... Um, What's the one that uh, the poop coffee? Um, oh, the Chevette. I believe yeah, is whatever it's called. The little foxes or monkeys poop them out, and then yeah. Oh, I only drink the finest of coffees. Like, okay, that's cool, but get some cold brew. That seems more your. You don't yeah. want. Yeah, you say what you like and what you buy. Very different yeah. things. I've so 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 that's been a. It's been a fun experience for us like learning how to like message around this education of like you have had coffee before but you haven't had our coffee and that's not like it's different you know do you ever present it in spider graph form spider graph so, i mean i'm not like, doing presentations in, okay. in uh, but i'm like, talking about on stream anybody anybody that we work with from like a b2b side we say you're gonna love our coffee let us send you some and then and then wayne will, like, wayne will follow up and be like okay how are you brewing this so that we make sure nobody's like grinding it, putting it in like a reusable K cup and then like using that as their, nice. their judgment. <laughs> you know, we want to make sure that's like somebody in the office maybe uses a French yeah. press or has like a coffee maker that is a price point above a hundred dollars. Like just something where you, they, you know that someone is going to get to actually taste you want, the me coffee? To you want me to solve all your problems right now? I can solve them. Sure. Okay. All right. So you have to get all your super tasters, all your coffee lovers making it like an event when it's appropriate. Then you sure. get you get ready. You're gonna um you're gonna fill in your spider graph. So you have your sweet, salty, sour, bitter, umami flavors. But then get okay. like get like um burnt. Get like cacao. Get all the flavors you might pick up from your coffee. And then you just have everybody start rating it one through ten. And then mm. you start getting a picture of not only this is the dark roast, but this dark roast has a lot more bitter than this other dark roast. And it mm. has a lot more earthy tones or you might taste the caffeine a little more in this one or and then you could get a little better picture because a lot of times when people are tasting and evaluating stuff, it is much better to give them a list of words to describe the mm. thing in front of them so they can. Oh, I don't yeah. like this. Well, what don't you like about it? It's gross. <laughs> That gives me no feedback. But if I give you a list, is it sweet, sour, salty, bitter, astringent? Is it a mm. chemical taste? Is it, you know, where on your tongue do you taste it? Get all these descriptors, and that might help. Once you have those developed, your consumer will much more easily be able to pick the coffee for them. Yeah, that's a really good visual. It only um, it only takes time and costs money. So I it's mean, I'm all sure it's you, 
It's a great idea. All it does yeah. is it's gonna cost a yeah. lot of market research. No, I mean, yeah, like, I think no that's deal. something that's we're always we're always noodling stuff. We're all one of the things we're always working on, right? Is especially with food, is like it is sen- as a sensory experience. It is so fundamentally different than like seeing, uh, touching something or hearing something. Like so, trying to use these other methodologies other than the ones that you would want to use to sell food, which would be smell and taste. So like, but we're all inside. So like how how we choose to speak about whether it's coffee or other food or anybody who's like trying to sell something that you really need to smell and taste right now. Um, it's it's really interesting trying to get feedback loops going when it's like I can't like if we're saying words, I can understand your words. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about flavor, like I can't you and I could taste something different, but we had something different or something the same, but I had something different for breakfast or I'm I'm on a medication that changes my body chemistry a little bit. Whatever the fuck I'm genetically. We're all genetically different. So we have different like microbiomes. So like our we have this really strong natural inability to kind of communicate about food using like other than taste this, you know, like that's uh, it's it's that's the best way to do it. So I guess that's just something I'm kind of realizing while we're talking. My question out of all of that is. How how have you found um, what have you found to be the best way to communicate about food if you're trying to get somebody to try something new? This is or, the easiest question you've given interesting. me. Yeah. This is the easiest question you've okay. given me the entire time. The sure. answer is emotional connection. It is irrelevant okay. what it tastes like. So, for instance, you're a big coffee drinker, correct? Oh, yeah. You ever uh, do you partake in adult beverages every once in a while? Of yeah, once in a while. Not all as right. much as I used to, but every once in a while. Tell all right. Remember the time that you got the smashedest the most. You were just wrecked out of your mm-hmm. mind. Not too detailed, okay? Then yeah. you woke up the next morning. How did you feel? Tell me about how you felt that morning. Oh, it's like dog shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Was your head pounding? Oh yeah, all that stuff. Oh my god. Well, you know what you know what I think would be great to fix that problem? This delicious King's Coast cup of coffee. So this, (laughs) so many people who are hungover had said this is the cure for them, okay? Mm. You taste it. I mean, it doesn't even matter what it tastes like. If you drink this, that headache is magically going to go away. You're going to feel a little more (laughs) hydrated. You're going to feel like you want to get out of bed. So this coffee right here is going to save the day when you've drank too much. Now, everything that I just said the flavor is irrelevant. It is an emotional connection. I know how you yeah. feel, dude. I remember this one time I was drinking Jaeger and Malort together, and I woke up the next day and like, oh, I could just taste it. But that one cup of King's Coast coffee, dude, when I when that hit my lips right there, it was just like, it was like that one movie where the eyeballs like, wow, right when it hit my lips. I, I don't even like, <laughs> my mouth was like gross. I don't even know what it tasted like, but the how I felt after I drink your coffee is going to make me come back to it time and time again. So once you get an emotional connection, especially with something like food and right now where they can't taste it, you need to figure out all the ways. All right. What else do coffee drink? Coffee drinkers probably like cigars and whiskey. Coffee drinkers probably don't like waking up early in the morning. Sometimes coffee drinkers will drink the entire day. So these are the types of people you may want to, advertise to and reach out to because the everyday coffee drinker doesn't really care that much but the influencer ones who really love their coffee and talk about coffee are drinking it for reasons hangover blend 
and you need to find out that reason because once you tap into that, that is all you need to to worry about to sell your delicious now, King's Coast coffee. Now I now I really just want to do an experiment with the guys, and I don't know if they'd ever go for it, but we just rename something as Hangover Coffee and see if it sells better because I have this feeling that people would just buy it as a joke and send yep. it to each other and then it would just be delicious. That's a great and idea. And it would like, also be like a, a the, like one of the most gifted things that you could give in like a college town. You're like, "Gotcha hangover coffee, hangover you fucking coffee. crazy piece of it's shit." It's got it's got some electrolytes in it and stuff like Gatorade to really hydrate. So, have you ever heard of liquid death water? Yeah, I actually uh, did like a whole. I made cold brew with liquid death Not, here to see if it would change the flavor profile. Think about that marketing. We're gonna murder your thirst. Like what the? That's a great Genius. idea. When they, right? when they, when 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 liquid death came out, everybody was like, "What are we in there? Like a while, like a metal? Do we need a metal coffee?" I was like, "You have no idea how." much you are being played right now complaining about this because the only reason they did this was because every other eco-friendly company looks like a bunch of like babies and like we all accept that like yes like to take care of the earth we can't go in with like an axe and be like grow tree like we get that shit right so so there's a reason why there's softer branding around all that but to intentionally differentiate yourself with incredibly aggressive branding about fucking water because your long-term goal is to reduce plastic waste is way smarter than rolling out like the tree can. It's a tree can. It's a can in a tree. That is the emotional connection because the people who already feel like they want to impact the environment are already doing the things they're supposed to. They don't need this product. This product is not for them. This is for schmoes like us. Schmoes like, well, not necessarily us because we know what's going on, but it's for those people that are like, we need to try to influence the people that do not care about the environment. So how do we do that? We're an energy drink company. We're badass. We this can make you jump higher and run faster. And look at this can. It's got a skull and it's awesome. But that's that emotional connection. Like, dude, hell yeah, I'll drink this water. If you brand the fact that you're healthy or low calorie or good for the environment, 30% of the people will not buy your product off right away. Off the get. Only because of that word, the verbiage that you called out your marketing verbiage on the package, which is ridiculous. It should not matter whether it's eco-friendly or not. I want the thing in the middle, but people are not making decisions based on how delicious the thing is. It's all yeah. the other reasons why they're doing hmm. it. That's so, that's so fascinating. I wasn't expecting to get like a masterclass on psychology right. in the middle of uh, the, and uh, the, uh, this. This is all stuff. I did not go to school for any of this, but like I said, this is the thing that like, my extracurricular is that consumer science that I do a lot of yeah. thought on and research on and marketing because I have no training in that. Just hard knocks life on the streets, running my own, <laughs> one of my own social yeah. networking. Your stuff lived, your where, lived, you know, your lived experience informs, right. informs the way that you, you see things. And because you've been picking all of this other stuff up, it lets you look at the thing you do every day. The same kind of thing that, you know, hundreds of other people are cooking every day. You know, like, I mean, even I'm sure when you were a corporate chef, there's probably maybe a few hundred of them in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Uh, um, there's probably but, thousands in the world. Thousands. OK. Yeah. I, OK. But either way, like every single one of those people, including yourself, has a unique lived experience that informs what they do that is different. And so 
it's so interesting that you all of these extracurricular things are what's informed you to be so intelligent about not just speaking about what you like to do, but actually doing it. Um, and I think that there's so little attention because we get so goal oriented and focused on extracurriculars. These things that you're just interested in, you're just fucking interested in it. Um, but when you chase down those interests, it's always to me, there's always something that is so like deeply applicable at the end of these little ropes that that my mind throws out. Sure. Um, and I, I think that what I've what I've been seeing and learning from people who've been on this podcast is that the better your ability at understanding why you like doing those things and what they bring to your life in total the better you are at whatever your primary job is. Like you said, you were, you know, you, you work to live, you don't live to work. That's right. Which is uh, a hilariously, uh, one of my dad's favorite quotes and one of his best pieces of advice to me as a kid was, if you can't get a job doing what you love, get a job that lets you do what you love. Absolutely, you know? 100%. And he's like, if you want to be a ski instructor and you can't hack it because you suck at skiing, cool. <laughs> like, get a job in finance and then go skiing two months out of the year and pay someone to watch you fall down. Or go like, sit in an inner tube and just slide down. That's, you know. Yeah, like, wh whatever. Like, there's there's so many different ways to approach work and life. and and, and But that respect of extracurriculars, is, it's super fascinating because this whole conversation, your edge that I that has stood out to me as what makes you skilled at your job is this intuition that you have and all of this psychology and market marketing research that you've clearly studied, but you didn't go to school for that. That's all an expression of your passions. And so it makes it so believable when you talk about it. It's really cool. What I learned, I, I give 100% credit to the fact that out of college, I started, I was in two metal bands, original metal bands. And starting from scratch, how do you get people to spend $5 to come to your show? I know that, that feeling. Uh, that literal, okay, and being part of the community. If I'm the headliner, I should probably be, be out front, talk to the fans, watch the other bands, um, engage in the community, help sell shirts. Dude, that yeah. opening band, you may have sucked, but dude, you guys were awesome. You know, thanks for- You oh, were great. Thanks, bigger band. Like, it was so nice of you to, oh, no problem. So when they get big and famous and I'm opening for them because I yeah. treated them They're very nice. nice, that's all the thing. So, and I failed at being in two bands. So what were your band's like, names? Uh, the first one was called From the Broken. And okay. the second one was called The Branded, actually. So that's funny. Okay. Because the, the guy was in marketing, and I'm like, well, we're a brand. Let's just do like a spoofy, we're a brand. So this is how we're going to get famous because we know we're a brand. And we could talk about well, there's yeah. a whole other episode we could sure, I'll yeah. show you videos and stuff. But now we um, need to do something regularly. I, I feel like uh, let's do it. I'm <laughs> yeah, all for we'll it. Figure it out. Yeah. We talked on what like two topics today so far, and it's been an hour and a half. I think yeah, we're, it's uh, great. we're doing pretty good. Um, but yeah, everything I learned from how do you start your brand? How do you engage with people? What can you say that affects your opinion of you? Do you want to be polished right when you start? You How do you advertise? How do you market? Like all those things I overlaid on my professional career as well. So when I get into McDonald's, I'm now in a big position. How do I capitalize on this? Out in the, you know, average people will think I'm interesting. So how do I capitalize on that? Do I bother McDonald's marketing and social media teams to say, use me because I'm your resident gamer. So you should use me in the gaming stuff to make it real. But they didn't want to do that. So here we are. Uh, and all of those things. So, yeah. yeah, that's 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 awesome. Mike, 
thank you so much for giving me your time today. We could continue talking all evening. Um, I I really appreciate all of your insights. Pleasure, uh, I'm serious about trying to find. I, we'll figure something out where we could do back. something more often. Absolutely. You'll be back some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I got I nothing going on. I got all the days. Uh, so before, but before we sign out, um, I like to throw it over to any guest. Whatever you have going on, whatever products you're working on, projects you're working on, anything you want to pitch, now's your time. Um, I guess you could find me on all these social medias. Like I said, my name is Chef Mike Harris, and it's spelled H-A-R-A-C-Z. But most importantly, I started a YouTube channel during COVID shenanigans called Chef Mike Does Stuff. And if you do not know how to cook if you don't like cooking if you're scared of the kitchen these are the videos for you because we do very basic things and it's a very relaxed like uh, if i mess it up uh, no big deal and you can also see my path of hey i want to start being a content creator so here's my cell phone watch the journey now i have lights and soundproofing and a better microphone and all so you could see it go from like uh, i don't know what i'm doing to learning as we go along so i'm learning from the gaming and esports and influencer community and i'm teaching them a little bit about cooking that's what the show's about unreal chat i'm not kidding you need to watch these youtube videos it's chef mike does stuff right on youtube that's the one chef mike does stuff on youtube he made tamales in a baby bottle sanitizing steamer and it works. And they, I watched the video when we got started. One, it works. Two, they looked perfectly cooked. So, like, it's awesome. Uh, you need to go. You need to go watch uh, everything that he has got going on. Uh, for me, uh, that is my recommendation. Uh, thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you thought of anybody when you were listening to this, all I would like for you to do is share it with them. You can rate and subscribe if you'd like, but it's more important to help the people around us. So I would, I would prefer you do that over anything else. Uh, if you supported the channel on Patreon, uh, big thank you to that. Again, if you'd like to ask questions during the next episode, it is raredrop.co uh, slash Patreon or patreon.com slash raredrop. And we'll talk to you next time. So from me and Chef Mike, thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.